Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Venture capital funding flooding the food and beverage industries in recent years has helped grease the wheels for many startups. But according to one investor, a significant funding gap between pre-seed and subsequent early growth stage rounds is holding back entrepreneurs in the space from reaching their full potential. Kirk Haney, the CEO of the San Diego-based acceleration fund Radical Growth, says that asking entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industries, and in particular food and ag tech space, to follow the same playbook with the same financial support as other tech companies is unrealistic. He explains that this is because there's no Silicon Valley for food tech and ag tech, and as a result, requires a pretty Herculean effort at this stage to help companies grow. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Haney explains how the traditional venture capital model is falling short when it comes to food, beverage, and agriculture, and describes how radical growth is pioneering an alternative approach that he says could benefit entrepreneurs, investors, and the overall industry. He also shares where he sees the most potential for innovation and growth within food, beverage, and agriculture in the next five to 10 years. So the huge influx of money pouring into the food and beverage industries in recent years is evident in the steady stream of headlines proclaiming multi-million dollar investments in innovative young startups, such as the recent $2.5 million investment in Renewal Mills, a $90 million investment in Siete Family Foods, and a $12 million investment last year in Snack Nation. And while Haney acknowledges that there is a ton of venture capital in the U.S. that is coming up, he says that the investments in food and ag tech pale in comparison to other segments. Specifically, he notes last year roughly $5 billion was invested in ag and food tech, compared to $23 billion in health tech and $36 billion in sin tech. I mean, it is a fraction of other industries. And in the U.S., we had, I think, the, the median seed round was about 1.5, 1.6 million U.S. in the ag tech and food tech space. Granted, the best entrepreneurs, the best opportunities were raising 2 to 2.2 million, which is completely in line with the rest of the venture capital industry. Um, the valuations in food tech and ag tech are not as high as other categories. I believe the median uh, valuation for a seed round in the industry was 10 million. Uh, in ag tech, it was closer. It was, I want to say, it really depends where you are. It was probably closer in the five to six range. Again, depending on where you are. And so in Cavalli, it'd be six or seven compared to 10. Haney says that simply is not enough money to carry entrepreneurs forward and allow them to sufficiently develop their technology and product before worrying about their next fundraise round. This distraction of needing to raise additional money can cause entrepreneurs to focus on the market potential rather than the product, ultimately slowing progress down. saw this gap in the market where traditional accelerators may be supporting food tech or ag tech companies, and that they may invest 50, 100, 150,000 U.S., and that's just not enough in our in the food value chain to get a company off the ground. In the traditional enterprise it is, when you have a completely connected infrastructure in, you know, a city, if you will, that's great. You can develop software, you can launch a product in four months, and 150K actually gets you out of the gate. 
in the food value chain, it doesn't. When you have a completely unconnected, undigitized value chain, you can't, software's not eating that world. Yes, one of the things I like to say is there's, there's no Silicon Valley for food tech or ag tech. And so that requires a pretty Herculean effort at this stage to help companies grow. You know, Silicon Valley's 50 years old. You have VCs, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and acquirers all within about a 50 mile radius. Okay, food and ag, you know, 10,000 years old in terms of organized food production. So 10,000 years old. There are entrepreneurs globally. There are investors globally. There are subsidies that are global that are driving innovation. And the acquirers are global on different continents. I'll break that down into, into kind of two paths. One is because um, technology development, food tech and ag tech are global, you don't typically see the resources globally to help these entrepreneurs get out of the gate. And let me give you some specific examples. Um, you know, the later stage funding in, in early for, for companies, for venture capital companies, is centered in Silicon Valley. Not 100%, but that's where the bulk of the deals go. And those VCs will tell you any deal worth funding is going to be here. And so you have that dynamic that if you're in New Zealand to get on a plane and try to meet people in Silicon Valley, it's, it's hard to do, and you don't know the process, and it can be very daunting and intimidating. So we see just a huge practical funding gap, just getting access, getting those meetings and getting people to think about it. Conversely, what Silicon Valley has traditionally said about ag and food, outside of the it'll get here eventually if it's any good, they also say it takes too long. And so entrepreneurs are struggling with, you know, they're competing against, let's say, the next, you know, social media platform or next app that with $5 million can be, you know, $5 million in 36 months. It's either working or it's not, and you move on. What traditional investors will look at is ag and food tech investing takes too long. Farmers are conservative, the margins are too thin, and, you know, it just takes too long to get these things to an exit. And they're right if you're looking at investing in a review mirror. I look forward, not back. And what I see is I see that changing. Historically, it has been that way. It takes a lot longer in the sector. That dynamic is changing in a way that because the food value chain is being digitized, things are going to go faster. Because we have new technologies to reduce risk for a farmer or someone in the food value chain, around food safety or what have you, uh, and one specifically talking about our fintech applications or insure tech applications. I mean, if you're a farmer and you have just a few shots on goal in your life to make money and be successful, you know, you introduce new technologies in a very pragmatic way. Not conservative, pragmatic. But if I could say, hey, for 1% of your gross revenue, you could have 30% up, upside in your profits, that's a risk-reward that a farmer would be willing to implement. So we see things around insurance. We see things around marketplaces, things that have been successful in other industries that are applying to ag and food that are making it go faster. With this backdrop, Haney says that the food and ag tech industries need a completely different investment model that can bring the right amount of capital for these early stage companies paired with much needed expertise that when combined can help build the industries in a fashion that mirrors the creation of Silicon Valley. And this is exactly what Haney says radical growth is trying to do. Truly with where radical started, we saw that to go from a $100,000 investment from an accelerator to the median Series A in 2018 of $6.2 6. there was just a huge funding gap, 
plus you had great entrepreneurs that didn't have any experience in the food value chain or great entrepreneurs in the food value chain that had never raised venture capital before they were going to start for. And we wanted to bring these communities together to help reduce risk and help increase our chance of success. Yeah, we are a company-building platform. We have a dedicated pool of capital like a venture capital fund. Um, and then we also have developed and built this community of experts, either operational experts that have built companies before, um, experts in the food value chain with throughout the value chain, whether they're corporate partners, successful entrepreneurs, um, and executives. And we have about 20 venture partners that help us kind of, again, community-oriented experts that we call the radical platform. So it's not just a dedicated pool of capital like you have with a venture capital business. And, you know, to take nothing away from the VC business, you know, the VC business is roughly, you know, 40, 50 years old, and it's been incredible what traditional venture capital has done. You know, there are some nuances to the food value chain, which you know well, where the traditional venture capital model does not work, or let me say, the current venture capital model. And I think, you know, what we really identified, and that's how we started Radical over three years ago, and in Radical One, kind of our first fund, it's been very successful. We have over a 1,000 companies a year coming in, applying to join our platform, get funding from us, and get access to our community, the Radical platform. Um, we've made now uh, 16 investments in nine companies, 100% of our companies have raised follow-on financing at an up round, so increasing in value. And that's compared to the top seed funds in Silicon Valley that are about 71 or 72%. And I give you those numbers because I think from a quantitative perspective, that really shows and demonstrates that our model is working. A key component of Radical Growth Strategy is hosting what it calls Radical Challenges, which strive to bring together the best entrepreneurs from around the world to compete for, quote, real money, to help fuel, quote, real solutions, and to some of today's biggest challenges. We created a radical challenge. We created a pitch day competition. That's great. That's been done before. You know, but I think the challenge with what we've seen is they've been software-oriented challenges in the past. And so we were the first to do an ag and food tech-oriented challenge that was putting real money to work. Because if I'm a great entrepreneur in Israel, I am not going to get on a plane and spend $20,000 to go, quote, unquote, win $20,000 in San Francisco. And and somebody that wants to do that, that's not the kind of entrepreneur we want to back because they're not making the right trades, in our opinion. But we thought if we put real money to work, $250,000, $500,000, million, does that then create an economic incentive for the best entrepreneurs anywhere in the world, Kenya, New Zealand, Israel, et cetera, to get on a plane and come come pitch to us? And the answer is obviously yes. We did this. Uh, we did. We started uh, this about two and a half years ago. We've done five of them. They've been incredibly successful. Of the 1,011 deals that came into our platform last year, 450 were from Radical Challenge applications. So just at a macro perspective, they've been incredibly successful. And with our latest challenge in partnership with Nutrient, it's really driven this venture capital as a service model. Um, and what I mean by that is when we see a problem, automation, geographic, by stage, you know, we did the radical global pre-seed challenge or radical GPS challenge because we saw some challenges by stage. We weren't, we're seeing a slowdown in accelerator, so we wanted to stimulate that base. So we created a challenge around it. And we've got some good things coming, by the way. We're continuing to innovate around the challenge model, so I'll bait the hook a little bit right there. You'll see some things 
over the next six months, I think they'll go, wow, that's what Kirkwood's referring to. We're just going to, we're going to continue to build around the smaller round. When our community of experts identify a problem, we like leveraging challenges with the right amount of capital really um, drives deal flow for us and drives entrepreneurial activity in the sector. And if you think about our corporate partners, I mentioned Nutrien, Bayer, Corteva, uh, by way of example. I mean, these are some of the top um, ad companies in the world, and it allows them to directly tell us what they're looking for, combined with what we see through our community of experts, what we're looking for, bring these two interests together in a way that, you know, they're getting deal flow in exactly the areas they want. Um, we're getting deal flow in exactly the areas we want, and then we're both funding, you know, the top companies in this sector. Past radical challenges have addressed a broad range of issues from GPS to automation to other ag and food tech issues. But Haney says a common thread of the challenges is that they have addressed problems identified by industry and market experts. In, in terms of how we pick our, I'll call it our categories, so we will work with kind of the industry and market experts to see problems. I'll give you around food tech, right? A big category for us is food safety. That's a very uh, important issue. Another big challenge around, let's say, specialty crop production is around labor, right? It's not just automation. Like, you just can't get the labor regardless of what you're going to pay them. Money is not the issue. I mean, it is, but not in the way people think. I mean, you just cannot get the labor. So automation tools to help um, attract people to that industry is going to be important. And so we work with a lot of big uh, growers, the big corporate partners, and co-investors. I mean, we are friends with everyone in the venture capital space in this industry because, like I said, there's so much room to grow. We want to have more syndicate partners. Challenge participants are evaluated not just on how they're trying to solve the problems at the center of each competition, but also on their leadership potential and how well they'll respond to advice and work with others. Then the next thing we do is we look for the best management teams in those spaces because the management team is really what's going to get the company through the next level. Yes, there might be some technical advantage. They license some IP, they develop some IP, and that's important. But the most important thing are the are the founding team. Hands down, everyone talks about it. Let me tell you what, why that is. And uh, The best management, look, something is going to go sideways with the company. You are going to hit a bump in the road. And I say that very confidently because 100% of the companies I've run have hit a speed bump, and 100% of the companies I've invested in have hit a speed bump. How you deal with that speed bump comes down to the leadership team. They're notoriously optimistic, right? They hit a speed bump. Do they think about how do I – I just hit a wall. Do I build a ladder and climb over it? Do I create dynamite and blow it up? Is there a way to go around it? Can I dig a hole under it? That's the kind of mentality we look for as opposed to, oh, we hit a brick wall, time to move on. Like you want someone to persevere and push. Then the next question is, if that's the what you look for, how do you find that, right? And from a quantitative perspective, oh, this person went to Georgetown, clearly academically very smart. But what did they do at Georgetown? Did they just get into Georgetown and that's it? Were they interning somewhere? Did they have some leadership abilities? Did they work in a lab? And so we have a variety of qualitative things that we look at. If somebody didn't go to the best university, but they were incredible athletes, went to the Olympics, played Division One. I mean, that tells us a lot about the character of that person. That tells us they know how to work hard. That tells us they know how to deal with adversity. What if somebody has never run a company before, went to an okay university, but was in a lab, 
and was able to get a lot of grant funding. Again, perseverance, focus, hard work, um, and the ability to tell a story in a way that would get them grant funding for that. Those are all the nuances to how do we find the right entrepreneur to back in this category. One of the things we look for in an entrepreneur is how coachable are they. We may not have all the answers to to the entrepreneur's issues or challenges, but we probably know the people who do, and we like to see how coachable an entrepreneur is before we invest in them. So, you know, for example, entrepreneurs, and I know this because I've been one, right, we're notoriously optimistic, and that's one of the things that makes us great. We see that, you know, that that little crack of getting into an account, you know, there's a 90% chance it's a no, 10% chance it's a yes. We focus on the 10% chance of how we open the door. And that's, that's what we love about entrepreneurs. According to Haney, competition winners and other entrepreneurs who sign up to work with Radical Growth can expect a dedicated team that will help them create a pragmatic business plan. I think as investors, advisors, board members, interim operating roles, our goal with an entrepreneur is to say, hey, we want to hope for the best, but we also have to be very pragmatic with what, what can we actually do with the resources we have, let's say, over the next 12 months. And every business plan we see has very aggressive milestones because entrepreneurs are optimistic. One of the first things we do is we get that, that let's say, list of eight key deliverables over the next year down to one. And this sounds silly, but it's very true. I have very recent examples where a startup with, you know, a hundred thousand US dollars showed me their business plan to penetrate nine geographic markets you know, including international markets over the next year with our seed stage capital. That's a recipe for disaster. It was obvious to me. And I worked with this entrepreneur and I said, you need to show your technology works, not that a huge, you know, there's a huge market opportunity. If your technology works, we can do that in the next round of financing. And so I walk you through the examples because we want to keep entrepreneurs optimistic and hopeful, but also grounded in the one thing that's going to trigger the next main event for them, getting a customer, getting a next round of financing, getting acquired. By executing this strategy, Haney says he believes that in the next 10 years, the investment in and potential for companies in the food and ag tech segments will grow from the current $5 billion to $20 billion or even $30 billion. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to ensure you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.